0: the incomparable podcast episode 13 november 2010
1: we are back on the incomparable podcast easy for me to say i am jason snell and joining me today in the uh podcast echo chamber are three of our regular contributors uh to my left i don't even know what that means Ah. is glenn fleischman (laughs) hello hello to my right is dan morin Hi, Jason. And across the table from me, keeping a safe distance, is Serenity Caldwell.
2: Hi, Jason.
1: Hello. Thanks for coming, everyone, uh, to this uh, Stuffed with Turkey, I suppose we are now. Uh, Mmm, yeah. Thanksgiving mm, dinner is delicious. How was your taste? Tasty, which is our clever media-savvy way of pointing out we're recording this before Thanksgiving. Anyway, cranberry sauce, mmm, that's good stuff. We are talking today, um, in, the, in the wake of the release of the seventh Harry Potter movie, we are using that as an excuse to talk about all things Harry Potter. Uh, the, young, the young wizard with the, uh, with the lightning-shaped scar on his forehead. Um, I should also point out that it's the seventh movie, but it's not the last movie because they decided to take the seventh book and split it into two parts. Um, and there's a really technical reason why they did that uh, that you may not be familiar with, which is to make more money. <laughs> I uh, I heard a good somebody
0: commenting the other day, like, boy, I bet Warner Brothers is smacking itself now for not having you know decided to do this with all of the books.
3: Oh God, yes.
1: It, except I got to say the reviews have not been as kind as they've been to some of the other Harry Potter movies, and I think I feel of, like I've heard very mixed things, but I don't know.
3: Yeah, they're, and they're crying. As, they're crying on the way to the bank. It's so sad. Well, oh, oh wait, I just it's so sad. It's going dollars. to break
1: box office records. Well, I I somebody said that that they thought. Um, in the end, that uh, at least artistically, they should have done the Lord of the Rings thing and just released it as a three, you know, three and a half hour movie. But of course, they wouldn't make as much money as by splitting it in two. And at this point, you're so invested. I we were driving past the movie theater here that's showing it, and my wife said, "Hey, you know, my parents are here for the holiday. Uh, let's we can go see it." Um, and I said, Oh, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, mixed reviews and all that. And she says, What? You're not going to see it? You've seen the first six. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think this is you're what committed. is going on. And you're going to see the last one, so how could you skip one? So you've got to well, go yeah. see the one where they go camping.
3: It's interesting. It's <laughs> interesting to compare this to Lord of the Rings because. The uh, you know, the original movies, they uh, Peter Jackson, they kept trying to squeeze it into something that was actually releasable in theaters, you know, down to what under three and a half hours or something for each part. I can't remember what the longest one was. Then the director's cut came out, and you're like, oh, you know, a lot of subtle, beautiful scenes were cut from the theater. And I think if you watch, I spent at some point a couple of years ago, I watched all of the director's cuts of Lord of the Rings, and what is it, well over ten hours, is it eleven hours. Yeah. End to end. Yeah. We do and that every
1: every holiday season in December. We we will go, my wife we, and I, will watch over six consecutive nights. We will watch those each disc uh, of the six-disc set. Uh, and it's great.
3: It's much – yeah, and you feel like it's, it's less of a choppy tale. It's more completely told. And so there are some arguments to say for a book as unnecessarily long as Harry Potter 7, ooh, uh, ooh. Uh, that perhaps it needs uh. to be split into two parts to so tell the story well in the theaters. And then they'll add another hour and a half to the DVDs. So it'll be a seven-hour – extravaganza just to watch seven when it's out in the director's cut.
1: Yeah. So it is a, it is a, a huge book. And so they decided to break it into two and, and you know, the the criticism I hear about the movie before we backtrack and talk about the books is that, uh, you know, it's just, it is a setup of, of part two. But then again, I felt that way about the sixth movie, to be honest, the sixth movie felt to me like episode six of an eight episode TV series uh, or season, not like a self contained movie, I felt like it was unlike many of the earlier movies. I felt like even with the sixth installment we we are really you know giving up on any pretense of this being anything but an installment.
2: Well, I would argue very much that both the sixth movie and this this first part of the seventh movie are much more character studies than actual. Plots with beginning, middles, and end. It's just like, all right, you know these characters. Now let's spend some time uh, learning more of their quirks, perhaps right. more than you actually wanted to know. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, and that's, that goes back to it being, feeling that TV feel of, like, you know, what you're really doing is spending some time with characters, which is what TV does better than movies in general, is that you get to spend a lot of time with them. And, and this is a unique experience where you've got over a, a fairly compressed period of time, eight movies with the same characters. You don't, even in traditional movie series like the Star Treks or things like that, it it's, takes up way more time to go through it. And, and they've, well, they've because they're kids, young actors, they've had to compress it.
0: Right. I mean, Star Trek's, you know, one through six went from like the late 70s to through the early 90s for six movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they've done... I remember when the first Harry Potter came out and going to see it and it was just, um, wow, how are they going to, you know, do this to keep pace? And of course, you know, pretty quickly... The inevitable, oh, everybody's starting to look way older than their characters sort (laughs) of comes into play. But I mean, honestly, I I know that never bothered me that much coming, especially growing up, having watched shows where like clearly there were high school, uh, you know, age kids being played by people who were in their 30s or whatever. (laughs) So, you know, I've been willing to let that slide. And I think that they did a, a pretty good job of picking people who... Uh, really did, you know, excellent work bringing those characters to life. And I think Ren's right that it really is more, I mean, the interest of Harry Potter in general, I find to be the characters, unless, you know, I don't think the plots are anything necessarily to write home about. It's kind of a archetypal plot, right?
3: Well, Rowling, you know, Rowling introduces like a thousand new characters in every book, too. So it, that's part of the problem, I think, in making the movies work, is you really need to pare down the number of characters on screen, and uh, you know, in some movies, better than others, and I think the uh, you know the the early movies, the first two were was that Chris Columbus directed the first two, is that right? Yeah. right. And those were much more like we've torn pages out the book and pasted them on the movie screen. They weren't bad, and they were well realized, but everything was a little you know, sort of weak and thin. And but you know, but the,
0: the first two movie, the first two books are also the shortest by far.
3: It's it's true, but even so, I think they did a worse job in those of making the uh, of actually. You know, summarizing – or not summarizing, but you know, I felt they were summaries as opposed to uh, a reworking into a new medium of something. It seemed like very much like if I was an author, instead of having someone rework my work, I'd just rather have them take pages from it and put it on the screen. It felt very much like that. Then when you got into – of course, I'm forgetting his name. Who directed the next – Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. And his films were – they were much more beautiful, rich, deep – Nuanced, and he shed and shed and shed. And I wonder how much of a battle it was to let things go. And then you see back again in six and in seven, part one, um, that there's uh, you know this tendency to you know let's let's talk about seven, part one, that uh, there are so many characters and so many terrific actors were on screen for like five seconds. I'm like <laughs> – you're like, there's David Thewlis. Wait, he's gone. Oh, there's Luna. Oh, oh no. Uh, wait. No, Blake. Oh, oh, she's got a line. That's very funny and now she's gone and I feel like there's about 50 actors in Harry Potter Seven <laughs> part one that, that are just fleeting on screen because it seemed like they must – and even so, they pared down. It seemed like they had to get them in there. So they stuck them in there partly to have a payoff in part two and partly because – maybe the audience would have felt cheated and not have that glimpse of uh, of you know, I don't know of, of worm wormtail or something.
2: Well, you got to balance all of the characters. I think like all, pretty much all of the characters besides our main crew are all in the first what 30 minutes so it balances out with the 2 hours of camping with just them.
3: <laughs> Does every is there always an exegesis in these large, you know, epics where there's just camping? I mean, Lord of the Rings, book 5 of 6, it's like and they're camping. It's like, does every author have this urge to write about mud and dirt and dank and weeds? I don't know.
2: I got to say, when I was watching, uh, Glenn and I, are we the only two people who have seen the movie right now? You haven't seen it yet, Dan. Have you seen it yet? You haven't seen it yet, Jason?
1: Well, now that it's after Thanksgiving, I'm oh. sure I <laughs> have seen it. You have seen it. <laughs> but it, it's not coming to me.
2: Yes. You have seen it in the um, future. I see. In a future timeline, Uh, the thing that really like cracked me up is that, of course, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all walking around in modern day clothing in these big, epic, you know, Lord of the Ringsian type shots. And I'm, I, I didn't really realize that while reading the book, and now watching it on screen, I'm like, man, this looks really ridiculous. They're in skinny, yeah, they're in skinny jeans (laughs) and sweaters, standing on like the cliffs of, you know, yeah. (laughs) Although I liked when they.
1: I forget which movie it was. I think it might have been Alfonso Cuarón's movies where they put them, uh, they took them out of their sort of wizarding robes and put them in modern, you know, track like tracksuits and things like that. And I thought, I thought that was a great decision because it could have gotten really twee and really just wizardy, and um, it it didn't. It did.
0: I think it anchors it, and that's one of the things I always liked about the later books. Is I felt like there was more of a relationship with the quote unquote real world. Um, which set this apart from something like Lord of the Rings, which you know is fine and everything. But I, I you know, this is fundamentally in the later ones is a, really a story about you know parallel worlds, if not parallel universes. Mm. Mm. The oh, city absolutely.
1: and the no, right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the
0: the Hogwarts and
1: the Muggle well, city yeah. and the other city.
3: Well, I thought that was that was easily dismissed too. Like the um, you know, I thought that I I thought one of the best Dursley scenes in all seven books is when. The Dursleys take their leave of Harry at the beginning of Book Seven. And I thought we'd get a moment of reflection there. I thought they'd open it slow, step back, have that great moment with Dudley, which is I think a beautiful moment in the books. And it sort of stands out. It gives him briefly three-dimensionality out of, you know, pretty much the entire series, which he's a cartoon and a bully. And and I like that. And then in the movie, I think for interests of narrative continuity and parallelism between Hermione and Ron. And Harry, they just sort of glossed over it to get into the story proper. So there, there is that too.
2: Everything's very fast. I mean, everything's always they they always open the films very fast. When you look at them sort of as a whole, it's always it's true. Oh, we got to get them. We got to get them out of the Dursleys. We got to get them out. Go 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 go. And it's uh, always it's always rushing. Well, I, I mean, mean even first, even with first two and a half
1: movie, hours, it's tough. The first yeah. movie spends a lot of time with the Dursleys, and That's I actually true. think it's it's uh, and they're trying to set up that kind of story but at the same time it is kind of painful the amount of time they do spend before hagrid <laughs> you know bursts into the room on the top of the rock and says it's your birthday um it, it, they do spend a lot of time one of the funny things about the dursleys i i think they're way broader they're even broader if this can be possible in the movies than they are in the books that's true and um but in the books one of the things i love about the the dursleys is is that it's such a uh roll doll knockoff and i love yeah. it I, because i loved reading roll doll as a kid especially james and the giant peach and i, I know there's a probably a tradition in in literature uh, especially among english authors of these kind of awful aunts and uncles um but uh, the, Harry Potter is is James from James and the Giant Peach to me in many ways. When we when we first meet him with the with the awful you know his parents are dead,
3: uh, the room t- under the stairs. Yeah. That was, did that creep you out in number seven when he's looking at that room and you're like Jesus, this guy's six foot tall and he lived in there. And suddenly <laughs> it seemed really like it's sort of creepy in the books, but you're like. In context, it's weird and whatever well, you're like not good. But then when you see it in the light of day, it's like oh that's child abuse. As opposed, but at the to- same
2: time, I mean, I will say in the film they have a really nice touching moment and kind of it is creepy and it is weird where you're like man he lived there. But at the same time, like when he there's a there's a moment in the film where he just everything sort of pauses for a second. He just takes a moment to open the mm. cupboard door and look into where he slept, and it's kind of like oh we're seeing character growth here, yeah, however small. <laughs> we're we're it's a captured moment.
1: So um, let's shift gears a little bit and go to the
3: books. Have Have you all read the books?
1: Yes, none of us a while.
3: (laughs) I just reread them all by accident. My wife. um, Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait! wait.
1: (laughs) What, did you trip and fall? And your eyes were were run over all the books.
3: It was like Tron, almost only (laughs) infinitely more tedious. Uh, No, no, it was. uh, There's a Woody Allen story like that. Projected into the books. Uh, No, I was. uh, My wife picked up and started reading through the books, and then she ran out of time. She got busy with, you know, we have children and all. And I started reading through them. I apparently don't raise children. And um, wound up over a course of months, like going through all seven again, you know, rather quickly. In some cases, I was curious how well they held up, and some did better than others. You know, I'm struck again. By reading it, that uh, clearly after the first book or two, that Rowling's contract said, "Not a word that I write shall be touched nor removed." Because um, you know, there's awkward things. There are continuity errors in the books, uh, some of which were fixed in later editions, um, such as the uh, the um, prior incantant incantati or whatever it is. The uh, last spell cast out of the wand. Um, It's uh, very Unix-like. Tell me the last several commands run in this wand. And uh, then there's the problem with book seven, which is that she introduces major new thematic elements previously, not even foreshadowed. Now, having reread them recently, there is not a hint of most of the new stuff in book seven. It's as if she's like, well, I'm kind of bored. So instead of just finishing this thing I wrote, I'm going to create a whole new thing. And so you recall in the books, in the movies, this was a hilarious moment. Where Ron's like, "Wait a minute! We got to get a whole bunch more stuff. We already have to get like five Horcruxes. Now we have to get like these three Deathly Hollows. Like, what the hell's going on?" And uh, you know, and I, I felt like there was real sense in reading it as a whole. You know, reading three thousand pages that it could have used some trimming. And it does hold up really well as, as rollicking good stories. But there are stretches that get um, tedious simply because I don't think she took the effort or was willing to have the effort taken to tighten up.
1: Well, she could definitely, I mean, early on, you can see that she's learning as a writer that, um, you know, she, she starts out and the, quite honestly, the writing isn't very solid. She, she does love her adverbs. Uh, but uh but it does adverbs get a bad they get a bad no but community. she she does i mean it, it's how many times you know Ron uh, Hermione shouted you know frustratedly or something like that where it's like <laughs> I think we got it Jk I think we figured out she was frustrated from what she said you didn't really need to throw in how she said it like stage direction she does that's like one of the least um mm. enjoyable things I think about her prose although she gets better in that sense but you do, you're right you trade that for this, um, I'm a I'm an incredibly successful author, so you know don't touch my stuff. And you know who knows how much an editor worked on that stuff, but you do get the sense that that th- there was nobody there to say you know J.K. Th- th- you know this doesn't really this doesn't really work. Or Actually, they said it, and she said Nah, it's what I want to do.
3: This is a good thing. We all four are editors. We work with writers, pros. I mean, I spend a lot more time writing than editing. I think we all have a different balance in that. But I spend a lot of time having my work edited by terrific. Editors um, suck up, suck up, <laughs> and also uh, editing stuff by other people. And you know, there's definitely there's such a I think there's a gift of editing if it's done without ego. And I feel like she, I, and I don't have anything against her personally. I think she seems like a lovely person. For someone to suddenly become a billionaire and to not become a total jerk, it's pretty amazing. It's a terrible. It, it's like a curse. Making that much money all of a sudden. I know some people who suddenly became vastly wealthy in the dot-com time, it is not necessarily good for you. So I have nothing against her personally, but definitely as a, as a writer, I think it would have behooved her to have developed a strong relationship with an editor who would have helped her make her really incredibly terrific ideas – even better. I mean, it didn't stop anyone from reading them. But I think when you look at, will these books survive the ages? In a hundred years, will we read this um, the way, or I should say, hundred years, but you know, in sixty years, say, we'll read this the way we read Lord of the Rings? And I question that. I think these may appear dated and bloated, and other books may take their place because of that lack of, of uh, uh, I think, of depth in producing something that has. I don't know. That isn't it's it, that isn't as bloated as for the for lack of a better word. I
1: don't know. Lord of the Rings is, it has has <clears> a, a lot of bloated, bloated and dull.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: sorry. Well, I, I like Lord, of, that, the, but I like Lord of the Rings. I like Lord of the Rings, but I don't think it
0: necessarily. I love know,
3: Tom Bombadil. Well that was the worst missing piece for me
0: You're oh. <laughs> 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 you're one you're one in ten, Glenn. You're one in ten. <laughs>
1: Wow, you, you Ren, uh, Dan, any thoughts about what, what you des- heard? You guys have just destroyed it's, it's, it's the podcast. It's like, yeah, you, you I, I, just, built, I'm, you I'm, holding, my,
0: I'm holding my head and shaking it. It's just, I, I mean, you know, I think I read a. Yeah, I was one of those people who read started reading Harry Potter, and there were a lot of people criticizing it because I, you know, definitely knew a lot of people were like, oh, come on, you know, that's for kids or whatever. Um, and. I don't know. I guess I didn't spend a lot of time thinking extremely critically about them in terms of uh, you know, how they were constructed or the skill that went into them just because I found the story so engrossing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't notice that the, I think speaks for it. I didn't notice the bad writing no, or whatever. I, I, I still don't necessarily think about it. I didn't when notice I, when it I until it. I started reading them aloud to my children. Uh, Because I read them all. I started reading them before I had kids and uh, just enjoyed the story. And then, yeah, you read anything out loud and you will get a perspective on it that is uh, – that's about the best way to take something apart is to read it out loud. And and I really noticed – and now we're reading the fourth book and – you know, she is a lot better in the third and fourth books as a writer than she was in the first couple. But she also was more expansive, and maybe that's good that she felt like she uh, she could fill in all the details of this world. Because fundamentally, I think the best thing about J.K. Rowling as a as a, a writing talent is world building and universe yeah, creation. Absolutely. That absolutely. is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and with the third book, that that switch gets flipped where it seems like she's been given carte blanche now, just fill the world and tell your story. And, and that's and it's great. Im-
0: it's impossible to deny that she's great. She's fantastic at coming up with all these. And I know we were talking about all the additional characters they get thrown in there, but she's great at coming up with all these characters, right? I mean, there are so many memorable characters who even if they only appear for, you know, a moment or one of the books, you know, there are people who oh. stick in your head. People Madam, who only Madam appear Ros-
3: <laughs> Madame Rosemerta, who is a minor character, yet she has a significant role and at least one of the books, and, you know, I can picture her. I mean, I've seen her in the movies, but I can picture that character, even though I'm sure she appears on, you know, 20 pages in the entire – Set of thousands. I,
0: you know, I like. I, I've always been a fan of uh, of Gilderoy Lockhart, just because <laughs> I don't know. He's so over the top, but he's I, so well done. He's so hilarious. And Kenneth Branagh was was awesome. Well, and, he, and they brought her, they thought, brought him back,
1: right? Did not they bring him? Doesn't he in the books? He has it, yeah. In the books, he has. He, a, yeah,
3: the the he, has, he comes back. Right, goes right. back because he's had he's had the, he's been obliviated.
1: Right, um, right. But they bring but they bring him back, which I thought was uh, great because it's like, hey, remember him? He was like, well, and, and she does that with ago. a lot of them she too. Does. I felt
0: like there's a lot of characters who are minor. Characters or come up in one of the earlier books, who then resurface briefly later M- on for Mundungus. sort of a cameo.
2: Yes,
3: um, yeah. I, I want mean, to ask Ren something. I have a reputation for giving Ren a hard time about being the youngest person in the room. That's mm-hmm. that's the problem with being a prodigy. But uh, you it's actually read It's hard being
1: 15 years old, nice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I didn't say that. Now, the rest of us, when we started reading Harry Potter, we were all you know in our 20s. Or Dan, when how old were you when you started reading Harry Potter? Did you read? Harry you the first. The
0: when, when did it first come out? Uh, Ninety Late 90s?
3: Yeah, late 90s.
0: I would have been a teenager. I would have been – I think because I remember getting yeah. a copy of the first book when I was still in like freshman or sophomore year of college. So I would have and, been 18 or 19. And, and when
3: I could say you were actually literally a kid when the first book came out. Did you read it at that time and do you read it differently? Have you reread it differently now than when you read it at that time?
2: I mean I will say that I started reading – I started reading when the second book came out, and I was on age with the characters while the mm. books were coming out. Wow. Just not to date myself, but <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually I was reading through around. There was a couple where it was like the books would jump ahead, and then I would jump ahead, and just depended on release schedule and stuff like that. And I think by the time the seventh book had come out, the time span had I had grown older at that point. But it was very very interesting because I literally grew up with the books. And I like when I first got a hold of them, I remember being the back seat of my cousin's car and she had she was reading, I think, the second book at the time. And I at that point was just such a voracious reader where if I didn't have a book, I would sit and look over somebody's shoulder and read while they were reading and get mad because they wouldn't flip the page fast enough and I'd be done. So I'd just be sitting and be like, all right, no, I want to I want to read more of the story. So when she put the book down, I basically stole it and in the course of like two hours, finished it because I was just so eager to actually, it's like, this book is interesting. It's fascinating. And reading it in like those little, those little pieces. From then on, I was completely hooked. And I went back and read the first and then kind of just I, I I went to a couple of the midnight releases. I think more more for fun of midnight releases than you know anything else. But I mean, definitely as I grew older, I mean, here okay. Here's my my terrible shameful secret is that I used to edit Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh, there we go. Secret's wow. out. Um, All right,
1: now yeah. we are getting somewhere. It took <laughs> yes. us thirteen Whoa. podcasts. Yes. <laughs> here we are.
3: We've made it. So no, 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 that was the whole tell. reason for these podcasts was to get you to confess. <laughs> I now there's, now you. there's an intervention program that comes. There is
2: there is actually Harry Potter fan fiction that I have written somewhere on the internet, but I'm not telling anybody where
3: it is. <laughs> Hold on, the <I'm> <laughs> under Sen Roldwell. Wow. But I
2: mean, it's just I it's I only say it because it really is about the world building, like well, yeah, in terms yeah. of in terms of her stories. I mean. Looking at her books now, and, like, I haven't reread them since the last book came out, which is, what, was that 2007, 2008? Yeah,
3: it was three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: 2007, I think. <laughs> uh, wow. But, I mean, I remember, Although I remember going... Although, as we were
1: recording this, it was just three days ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're that far ahead.
2: We are special. Uh, but, I mean, I, I haven't read the books in a couple of years, so, and I've definitely grown a lot in terms of, like, looking at... Pros and things like that but I mean before I mean the last time I read the book there are serious flaws and I, I mean I know I noticed that even while reading it through the first time it's like you read it you read it when you first get it at the midnight screening and you read it in six hours and you're like oh my god this is great and then you right. go back and you do the second read over a course of a couple of days really like ingesting the information and you're like well, I mean, there are some good things. The fourth book is a complete mess, a re- where it just meanders all over the place. Oh, uh, yes,
1: I, as I'm reading <laughs> it just now, this will be an interesting ride
3: for me and my kids.
2: Yeah, but, it's, it's, it's a very ooh. interesting book to read out loud, which I'll is, say that I've much. I've lost track
3: of what the fourth book is. That, <laughs> that's that's Goblet of Fire. Fire. Oh, yeah, which is With just Wizard. is the tri-wizard. Big, Like, everything we told you in the last few books is now incorrect and accented and different.
2: Yes, which is such a shame. I mean, I although still- it has one of
0: the best, I, I argue probably my favorite ending of any of the books. The ending yes, is fantastic really, yes. because it's the pivot point for the entire series, it's, right? Yeah. That's the point at which all of a sudden everything is real. That was the, that was the dark. first
1: first Harry Potter book where I I caught up to the sto- story, and there were no more books yet. And I remember reading that on a vacation, and my wife had already read it, and I turned to her after the end of that book, and I said, oh, things aren't looking good for our friends. (laughs) And it was like a real cliffhanger, because the next book wasn't out yet. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it it goes. Fortunately, it's so long that it'll probably be a year before my kids and I finish it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say, having read the books when they were current like that, and having to wait the couple years, I mean, you get... You get very anxious about where these things are going because it really is, as I said, about the world, and as everybody was being saying about about the world of the characters. And I think that's why Harry Potter had such a giant fan fiction base as well as it was like, all right, J.K. Rowling, you're taking three and a half years to write your book, so we're going to write a different yeah. story, more interestingly well, for you. So <laughs>
0: for the same reason that Star Wars had such a, exactly. had such a popular one,
1: right? Too. So so, Ren, what what kind of stuff would would you? Would you do? I mean, you don't have to go into detail, but I'm just kind of curious what (laughs) caught your attention and Um, made you want to... You know what was the stuff that you wanted to fill in, fill in the gaps? Well, of? I know.
2: I mean, the community that I worked with primarily was actually very much on the on the older generation, and not so much about Harry, Ron, and Hermione, but on the minor characters. On well,
3: Lupin and uh, Lupin,
2: Sirius Black, uh, Tonks. Yeah, well, not not so much Tonks uh, because she hadn't really. When I was doing oh. it, she hadn't even been introduced uh, yet. She's a little out of generational.
3: She's younger than Lupin and uh, quite a bit younger than yeah. the rest yeah. too.
2: But I mean also she comes she's introduced in the fourth or fifth book I think.
3: Hmm. Very okay.
2: very and at, at the time I think I started doing it around the time of the third book. So is it wait, the, wait. The,
0: so the... a younger woman who associates with a
1: bunch of older guys <laughs> So so yeah that's, that's, that's not it's a James is it is it you know James Potter and his and his uh and that friends crowd, is it that yeah. sort of thing
2: Well I mean it was like some some of the stuff that we worked on was actually like 1970s era them in school that kind of thing and then Uh, One of the fan bases that I worked with kind of branched off into this whole kind of alternative universe where it's like, oh, well, Voldemort was never defeated and these characters are all still alive and are dealing with the premise of what happened basically if he didn't go away for 10 years. And like all of the stuff that I – I was always attracted to working on all of the – not so much like the main canon stuff but all of these minor characters and getting to play with these minor characters and – Really give them a life that they otherwise don't have within the books themselves.
3: You notice there's a recurring theme there, too, which is, and I can see what people seize on that, is you find out, you know, Harry, they're facing an immediate threat always, and then it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, Voldemort was actually a problem 30 years ago, and he was a problem. Fifty years ago, and mm-hmm. then there was uh, was a Grindelwald. Grindelwald the, before yes. that, you know, it was sixty or eighty years ago. And of course, there's going to be a recurring pattern of some evil wizard mm-hmm. rising to the top, attempting to destroy the Muggle world, to seize power. And it's this, it's this cycle. I don't think she explores that theme as deeply in the book. I mean, it's there, and she's consciously using it clearly to weave these stories to make Harry have more sympathy with his father, to have more sympathy with, uh, with Dumbledore. I mean, Dumbledore occupied a role. Precisely like Harry, but without the friend. You know, Harry not having a friendship with Voldemort, obviously. Now that would have been cute. You know, Voldemort and Harry they were great friends until one day he killed. His well, dad. I
0: mean, wow. in some ways, I think that that sort of jives with my my long gestating theory. That I mean, I'm curious to see what Rowling does post Harry Potter. Um, and I know she did. She did a brief. She did a book that was kind of, um, like a Harry Potter related book. The, the people, the bird, or yeah. something. And I sort of always thought, well, she'll probably go on and do something else. It probably won't be as high, like, not that it won't be, you know, have its own merits or whatever, but it's hard to follow up on something that has been such a phenomenon, right? And yeah, she, so and Lucas, she and
3: George Lucas are working together on something. <laughs> well,
0: basically, yeah. So I envisioned her going off and like coming up with some of their books and I was like, eh, they're okay, but they're not Harry Potter." And then eventually in like 10 years she she writes, you know, prequels to so, Harry so Potter.
1: You know, or you know, Dan, She she actually is she is quoted in a – I want to say it's like an Oprah thing, but it's a uh, – she was quoted as saying that she has ideas for three more books that are Harry Potter books, and she doesn't know if she'll ever write them, but she might. And this is funny <laughs> only because – of course you might say that, except she said Keep when the door opened. When the seventh book came out, she said –
2: Seven, and oh, that's it. That's well, it. Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, the door is swinging open, and it it's would got... not surprise me. Well, if... I think – and story, and okay. the same, George Lucas did the same thing. You went back and forth that's, for years about how I, many. I'd movies actually there rather were in. there be sequels than prequels, though. I, I'd really rather th- her take up up from uh, where she left off, and that in the epilogue of yeah. the seventh book, and say, Harry gets a job. You know, he goes through midlife well, crisis. It's it's well a little bored because there's point. no Dark Lord to fight. <laughs> to Glenn's point, there's always another evil wizard to fight, right? So right. what well, happens? The first,
3: is now, fascinating. To pull out Lord of the Rings, though, I mean, Tolkien's thing was. I read I read his letters at some point uh, that were published in I believe it was in there. Someone said, why don't you write more? And he said, well, you know, everything is declined. That's sort of, in, in, in Lord of the Rings, in the books and the movies, you know, it's every minute is a little bit less than the one before. The grandeur is diminishing so rapidly. You know, everything is leaving the world which was once a thing of beauty and terror and becomes very mundane and that's sort of the the Tolkien thing. And so he said, you know, well, after the defeat of Sauron, there's no and the elves leave and everything sort of recedes, like, what would a book after that be? It'd be kids playing at being orcs or something. Like it would be very boring. And so that's part of the concern is Voldemort was, you know, wanted to swallow up the earth and destroy death and so forth. And like what you know, what's next? A guy that runs, you know, has terrible curses or something. I don't know.
2: Well, it's hard to top without going more minuscule. Well, more, more situational. I I,
3: I
0: want to see with Harry dealing with like the mundanity of an everyday job. <laughs> that would just you know he works he's like a middle well, management. Well,
1: actually, right, Dan, you you're a fan of uh, of of uh, detective stories, right? Isn't being an or mm-hmm. isn't he basically like um wizard private? Wizard, well, not oh, private true. eye, but he's like wizard uh, wizard cop wizard. There FBI. we go. So we
0: should do the wizard. Like he'll become he'll wizard he'll CFC wash I. up. Ops. He'll get divorced from Ginny. He'll start drinking. He'll be all grizzled, oh and, and then they will have play. to like pull him out of retirement.
1: Dan, no, you, no. You I want your badge Potter and your
3: wand characters. on my desk. <laughs> The Nexus 6 models have come back.
2: But- Dan, you just you just want Harry Potter as terriers basically.
3: Yes, always. No, just, I want
1: everything. Else. I I I think there's, you know, Harry investigates something and it turns out to be something greater and more threatening and and uh he, you know, and he has to call on our, some people who are familiar who are now at Hogwarts and you know, and you, know what the,
3: you know what the thing would be would be the opposite is the way to write the subsequent books, because we're giving Rowling suggestions yes. if she needs them. <laughs> is it's the uh, it's the what happened with the X Men movies also. It's the once the sort of internal threat is dealt with, you deal with the external, which is that everyone in the muggle world, the Muggle world finds out about wizards and sets out to exterminate them, you know, to destroy uh, them. You know, that would be the or, clear path that hasn't been taken.
0: Or, and bear with me on this, there's a crystal skull.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is Tell it me cursed
0: more. by any chance? Um, There was a kingdom. I mean, right. I don't know if you can you can you can follow with me on this one. And some some pyramids and aliens. Were there monkeys?
3: A magic refrigerator. Uh, all the monkeys. Why wait, wait. wait. Monkeys? Are there
1: zeppelins? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Sa- <laughs>
3: Sadly, no. There are no zeppelins. The magical world is without zeppelins. So- that is my that is my biggest the biggest flaw of the Harry Potter books is no zeppelins except in the movie there are zeppelin flowers. All right, spoiler. There are zeppelin flowers. Um,
1: so so Ginny Weasley uh you you brought up Ginny. Um I wanted to ask about the relationships in the Harry Potter books because for a long time I really thought that it was it was the uh you know Harry Hermione relationship was the obvious one and and then it was fascinating to see that be you know steered away to Ron and Hermione and and looking back to notice that that yeah Ginny Weasley is kind of kicking around
3: from the oh, start, from the, like from the get-go. From the very and, I mean, beginning. I, she turns read red the first time she sees him.
0: I always saw that. Con- I I never thought for a minute that Hermione and Harry were going to become involved, just because it didn't seem. I mean, the, the thing the the relationship between her and Ron, um, just the way that they rub each other the wrong way constantly, is such a great you know example of you know 11 year old boys and girls right? right constantly at each other's throats and of course it's all just you know they have you know these these childhood crushes on each other i mean it, it, i think she captured that beautifully and i think it never you know it never really seemed to make sense for for harry in the same way that you know that that luke skywalker was never going to end up with princess leia right other than the sister thing <laughs> But I think there's definitely, mm. a, you know, and I think they brought in Ginny there as, you know, the best friend, sister or whatever to provide that level of like tension between Harry and his best friend. But it also, yeah, it's alluded to from book one or two, right? Was it two where she it's first two. comes up? Well, two Because Riddle's she plays a major diary. part
1: in that book, too. Yes, yeah, she does. Diary. Right. Because she gets, uh, she gets uh, yeah, possessed by Tom Riddle's diary and taken down into the layer of the... Of the uh, well, I guess it's basilisk. the Chamber of Secrets or yes. something. Yeah,
2: and I mean, really, once you rescue a girl from a giant basilisk, I mean, what else, What other uh, course is that, right?
3: My That's hero, how I met my wife, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a basilisk. Well, it was a snake. Yeah.
1: It was, and it was, a, it was a garter snake. But why well, did have to oh, be a snake? And a snake.
3: It wasn't
1: a sword. <laughs> there some. It was snakes. a hose lying in the grass, but it
0: looked like a snake. <laughs> it was. It was oh.
2: I should warn anybody who's going to go see part 1 of the movie there are some scary snake scenes in that Oh film. dear
1: my wife is like,
3: good Just have just to hide
2: FYI to people Wait, out there Scary <laughs> snake
3: scenes I'm not. that's hilarious I'm not remembering them I don't like snakes
2: the, uh, oh, now I remember. Yeah. Sorry. You remember? <laughs> Flashback. <laughs> oh, cow.
3: I'd, apparently I'd been uh, repressing That's a recovered memories. memory, yes. Yeah, that's right. I, oh, I
2: actually jumped out of my seat in a couple of those, and I'm like, I, I don't get scared that easily at movies, but there are a couple of just like out of nowhere, no dramatic chord, no nothing. It's like, oh my god, big snake. So just, you know, if you're going to go see this with kids, especially,
3: oh, yeah, or, or people the,
2: afraid of snakes. The screener I saw, uh, uh, the screen
3: those I saw who there was suffer a, from a, a two, a four, and a six-year-old. One. This was a corporate screening. I went with friends and so their uh, the local company had bought out a show before midnight and so I went with some friends and uh, it was all adults in the audience except one couple had brought like a two, a four and a six-year-old and to oh. their credit, I don't know, the kids talked a little and whatever and made some noise at times but I didn't hear any shrieking. I would have thought they'd have to bundle the kids out you know, and take them directly to therapy but apparently not.
1: That's later. Later. That's part two. That's part oh,
3: no, don't take me back to the theater, mom.
1: <laughs> so, um, the my next question for you guys is about the deaths in the series, and this is interesting because it's a children's series, and it starts out a lot lighter, and it gets a lot darker as it goes along. And Dan I'm- referred to it earlier the 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 death of of Cedric Diggory, right? Is yeah. Is the pivot point in some ways of the entire series, and is quite. But it's okay
0: because he comes back as a
1: vampire. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, no, stop it. That's not no. Don't even. You've (laughs) tainted
2: our memories forever.
1: I will always choose to remember him as as Cedric Diggory. But (laughs) But I'm I'm with you there. I mean, quite quite shocking, in in fact. And then there are more deaths. Uh, as we go, I'm just kind of wondering what what your thoughts are about the, the, you know, the dark turn that happens in the series. series... Go ahead. ahead.
2: I was going to say, the series definitely, I mean, it starts off as a, like a children's book series but i definitely i mean you start getting the adult themes in the third book where you i mean you're talking about a prison where dementors and people are sucking souls from i mean there there's there's some dark stuff there and then with the fourth book with cedric's cedric's death i mean you that's that's the first death period in the series right there are no i mean there are obviously the allusions to harry's parents but there's no first on stage yeah
1: yeah like tom riddle kills people in flashback, right? Yeah, yeah, in flashback,
2: but it's not really—it's not real, and it's not there That's in front alluded, of you.
3: Alluded, right. alluded to, are the past, the right.
1: days I of mean, memory. Cedric, I mean, Harry's parents die in the first chapter, right? But yeah, but yeah,
2: it's—it's but it's all illusions. Um, it's after the fact. Cedric yes. is killed on on screen, on page, as it were. Well, and right, it's exactly. unexpected, too, it right? Like, you go
0: in knowing Harry's parents are, are dead, kind of, if you know anything about the premise of the series, right? He's an orphan. I mean, but Cedric's not only that, but it's, I think, the thing that got me most about that. And I, I love it when, when, maybe this is love is the strong word, but I really, when, in char- authors killing off characters, I think, I find it very moving. I find it very, you know, if you can make you care enough about someone that when they kill them off, you're like, oh my God, you know, you're actually taken aback. Um, I think that that you know indicates to me that there's a certain level of power and involvement in that writing. And I think Cedric's what's so damning about Cedric's is that it's it's off the cuff, right? Right. It's totally he, you know, it's just casual the way that Voldemort kills him.
3: Well, it's yeah, it's it's mundane. It's that he's not given a defense. Every, you know, every. Sci-fi, fantasy, whatever. Before someone dies, they put up this spirited defense, or it's oh, always, yeah. oh my god, they were almost killed if it wasn't for that owl. For or they that. get their death like, or, oh, don't yeah. sell right. the farm. It's either, you op- know, it's either
1: operatic or there's that tender moment, um, and this just, oh, I just saw this in a show where, where, oh, it was in Chuck. uh Sorry, spoiler alert. Whoa, whoa, no, I didn't my see it last. Geez, no, no, spoiler though. alert Ooh. for last seasons Chuck. Oh, last seasons god. Chuck. uh Fire the spoiler horn. Mm, fresh. uh Uh, Scott Bakula, Chuck's dad, has a scene where he finally goes to his daughter and apologizes for everything that he's done as a bad father and says that from now on he'll be a good father. And And they're like, you're doomed! He's dead. (laughs) He's dead. So it's, you either get that moment of closure before the death, or or it's this operatic death. Now, Dan, were you saying that you liked the fact that that Cedric's death was so off the cuff? Because that's what chilled me yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah, oh it yeah, I mean like hair. that. But it's a. I, I'm not saying I like
0: it. I, I'm saying it's effective, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, It right. really it it makes it makes your hair go up. Are because, Oh
1: my God! like, Dan, How did that, that happen? You,
3: you wanted Cedric Diggory to die? Is that <gasps> sure what you're saying? You're the a horrible body. person. <laughs> it's but you know um, what's funny is so Cedric is set up you have Cedric and Neville who not as much in the movies unfortunately but Cedric Neville and Harry are set up as interesting parallels I mean they you know Neville is supposed to be a bumbler Cedric can do no wrong and Harry is somewhere in the middle but he's the chosen one he's the one whose to whose lot this has all fallen and it could have been sort of any of them they're about the same age and you know but Cedric is the hero and this, and Harry is sort of not exactly the antihero, but he's the reluctant hero. He does what is right because it is necessary, not because he wants to be in that role. So when Cedric dies, you're like, "Holy crap! Voldemort can kill the hero. What chance does Harry have? We know he's going to come out ascendant in our hearts, but in the terms of the narrative, you're like, everything just changed."
1: Well, and he killed—he killed a kid, right? He killed a, yeah, exactly. a student at Hogwarts, 17-year-old. and that—that that means that our friends are—you know—even though this is theoretically a children's series. Uh, no one is
3: is safe. No safe. Well, we were told yeah. for four books, nothing can get in or out of Hogwarts. Nothing can get in and out. It's told again and again. And I'm sure that was, I'm sure she had that arc in mind that she'd set us up for years of reading. That Hogwarts is a safe place, just like the Dursleys, in, then it's like, oh, wait, it's not.
2: Well, you—it's well, a long payoff, of
0: and of course yeah. that that goes through to later uh, books too, right? I mean, well, in the know, seventh it, book, more is, or less with, isn't well, it With domestic. also with Dumbledore's death, I would well, say yeah. at the end of the sixth, really being the, yeah. the point at which you're like, wow, not only is this not safe, this is probably like the most dangerous
1: well, place. The, to I, be. <laughs> I'm thinking of the really shocking to me, the the the, the climax of the seventh book, where it, a war is fought mm. in the hallways of Hogwarts, right. and lots of people die. And it's just, wow. You, you know, you could expect that. Again, it's like Lord of the Rings. They're out in a field somewhere, and things happen. And no, it's right in the school where we've been all along, and then you take that time away. And by the time our characters come back to the school, they're bringing uh, terrible things with them.
3: I'll tell you chaos. the other chilling moment in the series for me, and this was presented well in the movie. In books, our first part of book seven, you know something's going to happen. Things are getting bad, and she's given us, all, you know, we, in fact, you expect the seventh book might open with things being really bad. But she gives us a little bit of calm. Something's not quite right. Things are building up. The wedding is going to happen, and I think the book did it better. Or the movie did it quite well when it's the ministry has fallen, Scrimgeour is dead, flee, and it's it's practically that moment in Lord of the Rings. Fly, you fools. You know, it's just you're like, oh, wow, evil just won, didn't it? So how do you claw back from this massive, massive defeat?
1: Yeah, I like that we go
0: a lot heavily into the darkness before the characters sort of get to the inevitable triumph, right? right. It's not just they're going to win all along. yay, yeah, yeah. But like stuff gets bad and it's going to get worse before it gets better. He has to and continue to give up.
3: Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. sorry.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I think that to me that, you know, I find that more a, more effective and more engaging than if it were just, you know, good always triumphs, obviously.
3: Harry gets shriven. I mean, this is a classic like Christian mythology sort of thing, too, is Harry has to go through, he has to have his ego battered, his soul battered. He has to die. <clears throat> you know, he has to die and be reborn. Um, not <laughs> There's no, no mythology or uh, dogma or... Uh, and he got a reference there of course no uh, no but he has to he has to he's he's com- his soul is completely shriven whoa whoa are you talking about the matrix <laughs> uh, pretty much yes yes, yes. <laughs>
1: Yes, I don't Neo, Neo is Harry Potter. Go ahead, That's Red.
2: Right. Oh, no, I was just going to say, in terms of Harry's journey and all the things that kind of gets thrown at him, I think my personal and remains, the most chilling moment in the series is not necessarily Dumbledore's death or anything, but actually the end of book five with the battle and the ministry, and you uh. just have oh. serious...
1: Passes beyond like, the veil, yes. disappears. Right.
2: Well, you want to talk about a you want to talk about a moment that comes out of nowhere where you're yeah. completely not expecting it. It's like he's not he doesn't get a heroic death. He doesn't get anything. It's just one moment he's go- he's there and then the next gone. And it's and with it you kind of get three three. Well, no, I guess two books. Two no three three. Yes, I'm I'm going. <laughs> three, three, four. Four and five. Three eight. three four five
1: eight three point one four one five nine.
2: You get three books. Of basically Harry learning that he still has family and he still has someone who knows his father intimately and who, you know, who could conceivably care about him. He has a home and all of that. And even though, I mean, the person that he, you know, cares about is a wanted murderer, he still has that connection. And then all of a sudden that's gone. He has no. I
0: I always found that moment a little bit, I don't know, not quite hollow, but there was something missing in that moment for me. And maybe it's just the manner of the death. Um where i don't know maybe it was part of it was because you kind of feel like well you know is he dead or is he just like trapped and he'll come back and it it, it seemed the, the inconclusiveness of it I read just
1: i read those pages over like 10 times when i got to that right. part of the book because mm-hmm. i was like what just happened and i can only it conclude lacks gravitas i can somehow. only conclude that she did it and I think I might have even read her talking about it at one point, I only conclude she did exactly what she wanted to do there, Um, but I find it, yes, I find it very strange, because it does lack... Gravitas, and we were just making fun of how every death has a moment of, oh, you know, operatic. But, but Cedric's, Cedric's death had gravitas, even if it yes, was off the that's cuff. Right.
3: He brought his body back. That whole thing, the like mm-hmm. the father right. dying, he brings the body back to him.
1: And this was blink, yeah. blink and you miss it, right? It's like, no, wait, did, what happened there? Did I miss him eh. dying? And then I go back up and it's like, no, he just kind of went through this thing. And it's not really, it's like a metaphorical there's death. A,
0: there's a difference between the death being sort of... Um, off the cuff and, and the way that it's it's reflected in the text, right? And I think right. that's where the difference comes in for me is that in action, Cedric's death is very, very like casual in the way that Voldemort kills him, but it's not presented as such in the text, in the story. Whereas in Sirius's death, I feel like there's something in the writing that just doesn't convey... To me, well, it doesn't do a good job of, of conveying situation. to
3: me how – yes, I, thank I you. I think there's a Thestral there's a issue here. <laughs> I'll bring up the Thestrals. Okay. Uh, I'll side with Ren. I actually thought Sirius disappearing. I think I did reread it again and again like what just happened? He can't just yeah. be gone. But I think that was – I think she's chosen many different kinds of deaths. I think this is her way – You know, death is something children have to face less so in our society in our age – but it's um, – you know, I have had people die where they're suddenly gone and they're gone abruptly and there's it, a hole in your life.
1: Inexplic- inexplicable death just right. happens. Right. And it
3: sucks and it sucks. And I thought she actually did a great job of – she she made someone disappear out of the book as if she'd cut pages out of it. And I th- and I agree. I think it was very intentional. For me, it worked because of that. And then you have – it's the next book when Harry sees the festrals and suddenly because he's lost someone where he was, I guess, conscious – oh, no, no, he's – He's never been able to see the Thestrals. There was some explanation, even though his parents had died in front of him, right? That
2: and Cedric had died.
3: Oh, Cedric, Cedric had died, right? So he could see the Thestral suddenly, and and Luna, and the whole thing that that um, alliance, like Luna's a slightly bizarre kid, but then you find out her, her mother's gone, her father's a little cracked, and how they've been able to make their way through the world. So there's you know there's the Cedric death, there's that death, there's um, uh, Mad Eye Moody. Like I actually would felt the most cheated death in the books for me are Mad Eye Moody and spoiler Horn, although everyone probably read no, it. No. it is,
1: this whole I, thing is covered under the spoiler horn, all, except for though, the Chuck spoilers. I yes. can't
3: hear you. The spoiler horn's going. <laughs> uh, but Lupin... Lupin. And, oh, and, oh uh, God. And,
2: they get married uh, and then
3: they die. I, I was like... A Tonks. I couldn't believe... I was like... He I finally finds
2: happiness. That. and then well, cheated
3: by it. man I said, Moody, the same thing. They're like, we lost him. It's like, where? Oh, well, he got hit. You know? Yeah, but... he just went this huge battle and suddenly he's gone. I felt like that one was not handled well. They made an emotional attachment to Moody, but it wasn't him. It was the... Um, you know the guy the masquerading, imposter. yeah, the imposter. And then we rarely, really saw. We didn't have a lot of connection with Moody after that, and then he's gone.
0: I, uh, you know, it occurred to me suddenly when I was thinking about Sirius's death that um, so he dies and he sort of stumbles back through the like the veil, the, veil. Right? the archway, yeah. mm-hmm. and it occurs to me. It suddenly occurred to me when we were talking about this that it's kind of a dark reflection of in the first book when Harry, the mirror of Erised. Oh yeah, where Harry Sirius sees his parents. And it's kind of like a dark, you know, the the veil is kind of like the dark version of that, which is instead of sort of bringing something back, it takes something away.
2: Believe me, there have and been so many speculations.
0: <laughs>
3: can, we, can we talk about the flip side of that too, which is that the number of people who come back from the dead, like given how many deaths there are of closed people and the styles of death, it's like you have all the ghosts. Then you, it takes book after book before you understand what the ghosts actually mean in her universe. You have – Harry's parents come back so often. You know they ought to get frequent flyer from the afterlife tickets because it's like <laughs> well, but they're, like, they're recordings, though, right? Which is sorta. They seem to have some intentionality until the final thing when he has the the uh, um, what do you call it? The resurrection stone, right? Well, the whole
1: idea, though, is I, I think is that there you, in the wizarding world there are like shards of. Shards of, right, your souls, just like with uh, Voldemort, and so you leave a little imprint behind. So it is a piece of them that's left, but it's not uh, them.
0: Give her credit, though, for not falling to the temptation of, you know, basically like the comic book approach of nobody's ever really dead. No, you you know, mean, I mean, in, in a
1: world yeah. which is which is magic, once they're dead, magic right? Once they're dead, they're dead. But that might not well, just like with the Joss Whedon series to tie it into last week's podcast. Uh, <laughs> once they're dead, doesn't mean you don't see them again. But they're still right. dead. Ah, good point. But I like that because there's not a it's.
0: It feels like a cheat, right? Whenever you know nobody ever really dies in comic books, right? It, Everybody yeah. always comes
3: back. It really and bugged so, me a Magnum PI when that guy who was blown up in the car came back. I've never gotten oh, over that. Oh
1: yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get to that in the middle of this. But did you see? <laughs> Did you see the sunrise at the Poly Lookout this morning? Boom! And Magnum's friend dies, and then they bring him back, and he's like an evil twin Russian sleeper agent yeah, guy exactly, or something. Right. It's like what the hell? Because that—that's the best episode of Magnum PI when the guy dies, because it's like real stakes. I didn't know we'd be talking about Magnum PI.
3: <laughs> so anyway, the topic today thing. is
1: Magnum PI. And no, wait a second. Back to Harry Potter. What what is what do Magnum Pi and and Harry Potter have in common? Now we know it's uh, oh, no. it's no wait no, no, nothing she, she nothing.
3: Not, she doesn't do cheap. She doesn't do the cheap shot. She doesn't do the. It was. Well, all I the mean, dream. yeah. It would,
0: in a world that's that's promulgated so heavily on magic, right? It would have been easy sure. to say, "Oh yeah, we just magic them back yeah. from the dead. No problem. Good, go about your business." No, but she, she never she never succumbs to that, which I. I appreciate it because I think it's – we talked about this briefly actually to tie it into another earlier podcast in the Doctor Who podcast earlier where you were the – with Rory, again, spoiler alert. Oh, right, dying Um,
1: many times.
0: Yeah, and it's like after – it loses the impact, right? Because you get a nice moment where it's like, oh, god, this is, you know, death, it's mortality, it's all this stuff wrapped up in one. And then they're like, ah, yeah, but we're just kidding about that. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him some more thread to play himself out.
2: Let's kill him again. And oh, let's, let's
0: kill him give, again. Let's,
3: oh, let's give, bring him back again. Give Clifosa oh, a call. We're all wow, Glenn.
1: Glenn, you are going to retire as the champion of the obscureness uh, on, the, I, on this podcast.
3: I am the Dennis Miller for this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. That's true. But in Someone the future, you're going to start be.
1: talking about right wing uh, politics. So oh, that'll be very confusing. Wait, like grow my
3: beard? I haven't grown one yet.
1: All right. right. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well. Okay. So what? that will be we... evil Glenn, right? Evil Glenn. Me. Well, or 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 Glenn. Glenn. I might be the, we'll call call no way to tell. the opposite
0: Glenn we should do an episode where we're all play parallel universe oh. like Star Trek mirror mirror universe versions of ourselves
3: welcome to and the Zeppelin about- world
0: <laughs> that's right because there will be zeppelins in that that's the it? parallel
2: universes podcast
0: that's right that's I think I'll be clean shaven in that universe <laughs> that'll be
1: <laughs> that'll be the comparable I'll have <laughs> oh
3: that's it <laughs>
1: That's, there you go another Red, good April fools. Ren will
3: be 80 years old. So Yes. <laughs> so what so
1: what's your um what's your favorite of the of the Harry Potter books?
2: 3 without a doubt. I hold that to, to
1: this And name. and that one is for those That's who are That's Prisoner
2: of Azkaban.
1: Oh yeah, um, which introduces Sirius Black.
2: Yes. I I Sirius is probably one of my favorite characters despite the relatively little screen time he gets overall, but that that book is just crafted so well because it's the first hint that we get that all in this world is you know, there are still dark and deep things in this world besides besides Voldemort, you know, trying to poke his head up from the surface, there are still like horrible things that are going on. And then on top of that, you really start to get the backstory behind Harry's parents' death and how that all occurred, and you're like, wow, this is really awful too. And generally, there are really awful things happening in this otherwise, hey, pretty magic. Things are you know, you get that you get that sort of dark feel throughout the entire book rather than in the last, like, five or six chapters as you do with, like, Chamber of Secrets and Philosopher's Stone, right. Sorcerer's Stone, whichever right. it's called.
1: Glenn, what about you?
3: Well, that's a tough question. I, I'm not sure I liked any of the books as unreservedly. Three was good. I liked um, Parts of Order of the Phoenix. And I think Book 7, despite its flaws, there's some terrific – there's terrific parts of Book 7 I like. So I'm not sure I had any one – that was a favorite. Um, I I think there was a scene that I love, which is when Dumbledore comes back. Wait, he doesn't come back. No one comes back. When we get an echo of Dumbledore, I, I think I have a favorite scene. Like of all the books, the bit when they're in the thing that's not quite a tra- – uh, Waterloo Station or some giant train station in, in uh, London. Uh, that to me is I think the epitome of how she can write a scene that is unlike anything else.
1: You know, we didn't even talk about Dumbledore's death when we talked about
3: deaths. It's still too – Fresh run.
1: Huh. <laughs> it's <laughs> too still soon. too run. Too soon. That's well, you know, it happened to Obi-Wan, and it happened to Gandalf, although he came back, right? So it happened to the back. best. And, he, and was he was never as cool back. afterwards. No, Like, he was really boring. Gandalf the Grey was awesome.
0: Gandalf the White, he's, eh, he's thumbs not. down. He was just doing his job. He's dull. White wizard's
1: job no, is dull. Gray wizard just I know. gets he's, all the chicks. What can you say? He's get, <laughs> gray, gray wizard's, uh, he's
0: got a little edginess to him, right? <laughs> he's kind of funny. He's got a sense of humor. He's a little bedraggled. White wizard's any, like, I'm Jesus. Hey, how's it going? Was there
3: any Radagast the Red fan fiction? That's what I want to know. Oh, brown.
0: Brown
1: dude. Isn't he brown? brown. Oh, you're right. the brown. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Dan Morin, uh, uh please tell Yeah, taking the crown. Down. Wow. <laughs> tell tell me about Harry Potter. Tell me your favorite favorite thing from Harry Potter book or other thing if you want to be like Glenn and avoid the question of favorite book. I think I'm going to have to go despite it getting knocked. Um I think I'm going to have to
0: go with 4 just because Goblet of Fire just because uh you know that the I find it builds and it has that great pivot point where everything changes and to me that's when I really you know, got the feeling that the series was something else, was going to, in a different direction than I had expected it to. Yep. And um, five, you know, I think the problem with five is there's a lot of There's a lot of time spent whinging, as the British <laughs> would say, with with Harry dithering about stuff and feeling bad Harry for himself Harry has a bad year pity. In book five. Mm. He's very book grumpy. Five is a not, perpetual headache. Um, and I would say six is probably probably a close second, I think, for me. But I, you know, I, I'm, I think I, I agree with Glenn to a certain extent that there are. I'm more a fan of scenes throughout the the series than I am of any particular books. Yes. But I, yeah,
1: I, I'm, I don't know. I, and I, I would actually agree with you. Sorry, Ran, uh, that I, I, I like the fourth book the best, mostly because of the end, mostly because of those last few scenes where things really, really turn. Um, And I have a soft spot in my heart for the fifth one, even though you're right that Harry's kind of a jerk for the entire book, (laughs) because the whole Dumbledore's army, you know, it's just such a great thing to see the kids finally kind of come all the way out from under... The uh, you know they they're sort of skirting the rules up to that point, and in the fifth book they are a rebel force. Well, and how great is that moment when that they, when they're like we're gonna just do this ourselves? And uh, you know what, what took you so long? But it, it, I I love that. So that end of four, and then the and then going into the fifth book. So I, there's
0: now there's now a political group called Dumbledore's Army. I heard sorry. about this on NPR really? the other day, what? inspired by like taking their their sort of. You know political leanings from Harry Potter books, which
3: sounds you
1: now they could join hilarious. up with the Jedi, the awesome. Jedi, the Jedi, in New Zealand, right? the Jedi
3: and, yeah, New Zealand and the UK. Hey, um, I have a question. May I ask a question? Yes. Least appreciated creature, like most underappreciated creature or or a character. I have a few, but I'm curious what people felt were were most shabbily treated despite their potential.
1: Oh, so uh,
3: specifically. So,
1: so something that we something that we like that's obscure, or something that we wish we had seen more
3: of. No, or? I mean, like a character, like I mean, there's you know five thousand named characters in the books. Surely there are some that that should have gotten. You know, I'm thinking more about like the B characters, you know, not the A characters. Who do where, you
1: wish had more attention lavished on them?
3: I think so because I've got a couple, but I, I'm curious what everyone else thinks. Like, who who do they want to see more of, and who was sort of shunted off to the mm-hmm. side as the books went on? You're like, wait a minute, they're actually they should have gotten more you know page time, screen time. Kingsley Shacklebolt. Yes.
0: <laughs> he just sounds like a badass.
2: <laughs> he has such a great name.
3: Great actor playing it.
2: It's true. It's funny because, I mean, the the people who come up off the top of my head are people who already have decent amounts of screen time. Like, I think about the twins. I, I would always I enjoy to see They're more fantastic. of the twins. Yeah, exactly. They're just so much fun. And then you get the scene in the end of 4 where Harry gives Fred and George prize money and is like, go make a – Go make a thing, go go bring some happiness. Mean. Yeah, exactly. Which
0: one? Which one loses his ear?
2: Uh, George.
0: Sure. I just love that they they sort of quip about now. You can tell us apart. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I mean, that's so it's so perfect in terms of the way that they capturing the right. It reminded me of um of oh God. Do I give another spoiler? We were talking about Buffy ooh, again, but like uh, Xander in season seven when something really terrible happens to him. I haven't watched it yet. I won't give a a spoiler, but he has it like, you know, he takes it the way that you think he would, which is, you know, with a wry quip and a, well, let's just keep going, you know, let's not fixate on this. And I always love, and I just, I don't know. I really, I enjoy that they, it's a terrible thing to happen, but they take it well and they know it was like sort Mm -hmm. of in in the defense of something good.
2: Well, they're just such, yeah, they're they're great characters and it, they they seem to know so much about they know so much about Hogwarts and they know so much like they they have amassed this whole little crowd and the, it's always the older I mean they're what two or three genera or two or three levels up from the main cast. That's right, yeah. Something like that. So it's it's always curious to kind of like all right, these people are slightly older. I would love to know what's going on in their circle of friends and with, you know, pre pre-drama. I don't know. Um, and then Remus of, is a mm. character, but I mean, Remus gets a fair amount of screen time. So I guess I, I mean, he gets most of the third book and then a lot in the fifth and a lot. Like well, there, we
3: miss him after the third book. We sort of miss yeah, him because really there's so much do. less of him.
2: Well, because she treats, I mean, she has such an interesting concept for werewolves and it's, and the idea of like outcasts and so, I mean, outcasts in society is fairly normal, but in terms of the way that they're treated in this wizarding society and, I don't know and there's there's just so much there that I wish had been explored more. But I don't necessarily like if I had to choose somebody to like write or uh, to cheer for being like, yes, this person should get more screen time. I'm like that's more I think personal than a overall this character was underrepresented.
1: Well, should Wedge and Tilly? Should be yes. shouldn't shouldn't um, shouldn't Dumbledore have an assistant who's like a secretary who like guards his calendar and stuff? But he has a
2: gargoyle. Why would he need a secretary? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Sherbert. So I want to know more. I want to see that character. Um, I want to know more about the guy who runs, who drives the Hogwarts Express. I think we didn't really Mm. learn about him. And uh, there's a whole short story right there. The guy behind the desk at Gringotts, the goblin behind the desk at Gringotts. I want to know what his life and and loves are. We we meet
2: him in the seventh book.
1: And um and the uh, the guy who sells the the uh the brooms and how he picks his brooms i'd like to know more about him um uh, you know but more you know, i i don't know i i there's there so many little things that i i that are, are so so weird about the the series and i you know i honestly don't know i kind of liked i kind of didn't like tonks to begin with and i ended up actually liking tonks well. a lot yeah, And feeling like we didn't really get to see a lot of that kind of punk rock kind of Was it just accent? me or did
3: – I kept thinking that something was about to brew between Tonks and Harry. Like it felt like there were intimations of that and then it sort of disappeared. Like I think I – I may be reading between the lines. But you know, she's older but not that much older. Harry has got all this deep responsibility. I thought, is he going to seek comfort in the arms of an older, more experienced <laughs> or – but, no. but
0: like she already seems – I mean she and Lupin I felt like pretty – early yeah, the on they established yeah. the chemistry between them. I so, think it
2: was more of an older sister vibe between her and Harry.
1: I could do with less Dobby though. That's what I would like. Less – yeah. so Jar Jar mm-hmm. and Dobby. Are I hate brothers to say it but that's always what
2: I think of.
1: Yeah, I
0: – They should have a talk show, Jar Jar and Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do a lot of – I don't do That's a
3: lot of next voices. That's the YouTube sensation. Why aren't you doing that on YouTube? You get a billion hits. I don't, I don't do a lot
1: of voices when I'm reading to my kids, but I do too. I do Dobby and I do uh, Voldemort. So just to scare my kids and also to make my kids, I guess, laugh or create you or something. With that. Oh, yes, Dobby. Oh, yes. Right. I mean, because right. he's just annoying and I, I got to get through it. So
3: I do a voice. With yeah. two, my two characters, two underappreciated, Luna and Neville. And I know that's unfair because oh, they get Neville. a lot of time. But Neville's I, great, I but I Neville, Neville gets a lot of time, I because, feel like. He, you know what it is, is? It's almost like you're watching the foreground characters, and in the background, Neville's growing up, maturing, and occasionally comes to the foreground, you're like, holy
1: Neville gosh. is a great trapdoor character. He He's, looks like the yeah. comic relief, and then you find out, no, his parents, the reason he lives with his grandmother or whatever is because his parents were killed by Voldemort because they were on the right side. And, um, or the wrong side, I suppose. Yeah, not even you're...
2: killed. Uh, their de- brains have been destroyed. completely addled, so they're still alive. Oh, right, you're right. Just... <laughs> Destroyed.
0: Yeah. Well, and I will make a strong argument for him as as one of the best casting decisions, oh, too, because yeah. I oh feel gosh. like that... They got, there was no way for them to predict that, that that kid would grow up that way, but, man, like he did definitely grew up from looking like a goofy... So I, to the point where I watched the last film, I was like, holy crap, is that Neville? Well, he yeah.
3: stands up. I mean, he has very little screen time in part one of... Of uh, movie seven, but there's a part of the train where he just stands up and says, What do you want, losers? When he's facing down Death Eaters in the middle of everything, you're like, That is the moment. That is the, they've managed the to distill Neville point. into one line into the movie.
2: Well, it's wonderful. We find out in what, book six, book seven, that Neville was almost Harry Potter. It came right. down yes. between those two boys. Book and it's like five, right? Yeah. Oh, wasn't it? The
3: and the you prophecy? think that couldn't have worked out. And then she makes a good case that it could have, that he could have stepped up too. I would have watched Neville Longbottom in The Chamber of Secrets. Neville
2: could have done it in four books.
3: Uh, and how many alt histories are there of that, Ren? No. There's probably as there. there are 15 oh, books, I'm, I am sure. I Neville am sure S? there are many.
2: That was <laughs> after it, my time,
1: but I, so it, it would have taken weird. five five, five books, Ren, because his bottom is too long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was the name of our uh, the year that our frisbee the season that our frisbee uh, teams all had to have um, uh, Harry Potter themed names. You were our team name: Huck and Go Long Oh, God. Wow! <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a great team.
1: You know, I, I I thought we couldn't end on a worse note <laughs> than my joke, and uh, I heard that. Um, uh, Quidditch, Quidditch, by the way, is as somebody who is a sports fan, um, Quidditch makes no sense. None. Oh, but do they play it though? I have pictures. I know if people <laughs> run around, muggles run around with brooms between their legs and say they're playing Quidditch. But no, the thing—the thing that makes no sense—is that the point total value of the Snitch is so much greater than the oh, yeah. value of the goals that there's almost no point in actually playing the 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 goal based game. Because of the massive – it's like ten times as much to get the snitch. Don't they, don't they say that
0: there's like one exam, one or two examples ever where like somebody had won without getting the snitch or something? Yeah, like exactly. That's well, and it, turns out, it turns
1: out that um, th- the goals of the tiebreaker – because in reading it a second time, what I realized is her, her – a way to address this huge flaw in Quidditch is to say that um, if uh, – that it's total points – that that you end up with it's not record or it's a tiebreaker for record as total points. So essentially, if you've got the same record as somebody else because you've caught the same number of snitches, then whoever has the most goals will be the winner of the of the cup or whatever it is. But it's such a I mean, it's just well, it's also uh, an insane game know.
3: because the game could be over one minute into it, and there is no sport devised that the game could be over. There's one just minute in. I just I just have Boxing to say a couple, couple but, <laughs> a year
0: or two ago yeah, like, I I yeah. watched. I was walking on Boston Common and I looked over and saw, um, some local college teams playing Quidditch, Only on and Boston I just stood Common. there with my mouth down for a while. And my favorite part of the entire thing is that in order to replicate the Golden Snitch, there's just a guy a dressed in yellow, yeah. and he just run, and like he was running all around Boston Common. <laughs> oh so he'd god. like disappear over a hill, like well off the field, and then like every like five or minutes, five ten minutes or so, he'd like come back through the field going like, Wee!
1: oh yeah, and then disappear again. What it's hilarious. Got that
2: job? Oh my god.
1: No, oh, that's a, that's some some cross country runner or somebody, right? Somebody who's exactly, keep on running. exactly. That would
3: be the Adam Angst of the Quidditch game.
1: <laughs> that's right. We'll get we'll get our, our friend home. Adam to be our golden snitch, bleat and blonde. <laughs> wow. All right. So we liked Harry Potter then.
2: Yeah. On that note. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, we didn't
3: actually talk we about give it the movie eight as a whole. Thumbs up. The, the movie. The movie, by the way, it's a lot of camping. There's some great action scenes. And it's a lot of camping. When I left, I heard every, about every other person in the theater is like, man, I didn't realize we we're, you know, REI sponsored the movie, or that was a great camping film. I wonder when, what the next one will be about, you know, like <laughs> Luge, or I don't know. Just...
1: I will say it's Harry a great... Potter and the Luge of Doom.
2: <laughs> I'll say that it's a great, it's a great character study film. There are some really Ooh. nice moments between the trio, there's some really nice moments between the characters. And it definitely stands well. It's better than most of the other movies. Although I am mad that now I have to wait six months to find out, you know, to see part two.
3: You know, I should point out they did the camping thing in the book. The camping is sort of uniformly dreary as the plot is advanced. And you get through the plot. They did do the cinematographic (laughs) thing in the film, which is they found the loveliest, craziest places in Britain to shoot the camping scene. So I'm like, Oh my gosh. If, if the words, if the action is boring or slow, at least you're looking at these, you know, crazy, I don't even, things that don't look real, but are clearly real scenery.
2: Which is also why it's funny that they're in modern day clothing, hiking across <laughs> these giant cliffs.
3: Maybe I'll just wait
0: six months and then they'll probably re-release part one. And I can watch them both in the same day.
2: It's entirely likely.
1: That's what I was uh, thinking. A torrent, excuse me, Torrent. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I like going to the movies. Yeah. It's good to go to the movies. The
2: big giant scenes would be better on big screen. Come on, it's, Glenn. True. it's true.
1: Sure, sure. All right. So that's your that's your quick movie review for for Harry Potter six and a half. It's camping and the camp and the campsite It's camping. Of well, you know, camping, camping with outbreaks of death. You do the camping because you want to, Your characters have have had their setback, and now they're in the wilderness. When we just call right? that camping. It's it, it's <laughs> in the wilderness. They're 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 they have nowhere else to go. They have to leave civilization before they re-enter it. I mean, that is. I mean that does happen a lot. I, I just you know, it is a lot to hang a movie around because then they don't come back until the next one. Is there a cliffhanger?
2: There is. Okay, no.
1: well at least there's that. <gasps> although it's it would be rich. bad if they just you know, good night, Ron. Good night, Harry. <laughs> and they turn off the Coleman lantern, and that's no, I mean... the end. Of the... They, they sort of slowly dolly out, and that's the <laughs> right. Music comes. I'll up say
2: and... they they end it. They ended on a good note. Although I would. I wish they would have ended it one scene earlier because I think the cliffhanger that they ended it on felt very kind of shoehorned in, whereas the pri- the prior scene reminds me of the end of Fellowship where you know it's oh, like yeah. Sam it's where it's where it's very triumphant That's one of my and it's endings. very oh it's great. It's a it's a great end scene. And this one nearly matched up to it and it got me to respect a character that I was very, you know, like, eh about and i'm like okay this could be a great this is the end of the movie right there are the credits right and then no nope, we flipped to this like intercut scene of uh-oh things are bad and i'm like no nah, couldn't you have just left the things are bad to part two we know things are bad
3: did you notice they did one thing in the movie that i thought was a significant enhancement of the book they actually used the visual medium of film storytelling to do something well not just the shadow puppet thing that was incredible the little detail oh that story of the three brothers is a as one of the most gorgeous things—it's like the beginning of uh, Hellboy Two. There's a um, where the tale of the Golden Army is told in sort of this stick figurey thing, and it's also equally gorgeous. Might have been the same people who did it, but they in the in this uh, shadow puppet thing, they show the uh, shroud of invisibility that and Harry. And his friends clearly recognize that they have it, which in the books you don't get that that's part of the same thing. It's like a shroud of invisibility in the book and you don't find it later that it has a relationship to what Harry inherited. Uh, and it's just – even with like the texture of the fabric in the, uh, in the shadow puppetry, you can tell it's specifically Harry's shroud.
2: Automatically. Well, and the reaction shots when you cut back to them yeah. is – I, I would say the, the animation on the whole, which is the scene where they're talking about the Deathly Hallows and what they are, it cool. reminds me of um who's the artist who did the who does the Don Quixote painting?
3: Oh, so, I know who you mean. Yeah Picasso. Uh, Picasso. was it, is it Picasso? <laughs> it, I, it is Picasso. The ones you're thinking of, there's sort of stick figure y yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the it was stick absolutely figure. Derived that's from that's that. what
2: it that's what it reminds me of hundred percent. Is it that it's, it's the very like thin oh it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's the highlight of the movie, without a doubt. <laughs>
1: Okay, so we've gone from Picasso to Magnum PI and back now.
2: Yes. This
1: is <laughs> and truly, wow, uh... only podcast there's your tagline. The only podcast that covers Magnum
0: PI, Picasso and Harry Potter.
1: Exactly. That's what we're here for. That's why people listen. Do people listen? Yes, that's oh why boy. people listen. <laughs> let's,
3: I didn't go let's to college for four that. years to not be able to make obscure references in a podcast in twenty ten.
1: And that's <laughs> why you said exegesis earlier. Exactly. God bless you. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) no Zeppelins. Um, Well, so that we've come to the end of our time together now, friends. Um, Until until next time, when we'll have another very exciting podcast. Uh, Who knows what that will be? Uh, But until that time, I would like to thank all our listeners, and I would like to thank my guests, Ren Caldwell. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jason.
1: Glenn Fleischman, um, give us another. (laughs) Give us another. $10 word, please.
3: Timesis, the infixing of a syllable inside two other syllables. That's your word of the day. And
1: Dan Morin, thank you as always for appearing on the podcast. Ah, it's a pleasure to be here. No no one appears on the podcast like you, Dan. (laughs) Poof! What was that? That was that
0: a was magic reference. That was a poof, me appearing. Oh, was that's
1: right. Expecto Alakazam. Expecto <laughs> Patronum. There we go. Ex- we had to get. <laughs> one Wait of a those second. Expecto Dance. <laughs> <That's- laughs> Wouldn't that expel you from my wand? <laughs> uh, uh, Expelliarmus. Uh, I do All right. <laughs> On that note, uh, we will say goodbye. I'm Jason Snell. Thanks for listening to our silliness. Until next time. Bye bye.
0: This has been The Incomparable Podcast. Visit us at theincomparable.com.